Good evening, everyone. Uh, welcome to the third Faith in Life event in this year's season. Um, I'm Pastor Tim Westermeyer, one of the pastors here at St. Philip the Deacon, and on behalf of St. Philip the Deacon and Mount Olivet Lutheran of Plymouth, which jointly present these events, it's my privilege and pleasure to welcome you tonight. Um, thank you especially for being here tonight since we had to do a little bit of a quick reschedule. You obviously got that message. Um, I got a call from our speaker last Wednesday uh, very graciously uh, asking if we might be able to shift the timing because his father uh, was having quadruple bypass surgery the next day, um, which of course we were very happy to accommodate and I think his dad is doing really well. So thanks for shifting it and we're glad to hear your father's doing well. Um, I always like to ask, how many people have not been to a Faith and Life event before? Do we have any newcomers tonight? Okay, some? Good, excellent. Special welcome to all of you. This is the 14th year of our series, and we try to bring in interesting speakers from across the country and, and indeed from around the world who talk about how Christian faith is connected to everyday life. In the 14 years of the series, we have featured some artists, um, not a lot. We've had a calligrapher very early in the series. We had a musician. We've certainly had lots of authors. I don't think we've ever had a photographer, though. Uh, and so tonight uh, is a new thing for us. Uh, our speaker started his professional career as a designer. He ended up sort of accidentally becoming a photographer to the stars, including names like uh, Taylor Swift, Carrie Underwood, Kelly Clarkson, Sting, you may have heard of some of these people, Heidi Klum, Tim Tebow, and Gwyneth Paltrow. He's been featured in Rolling Stone, Time, and ESPN Magazine, among many other places. And that alone is worth celebrating, but he's also um, a humanitarian, and so he has taken photography or used photography as a way to uh, help people throughout the world through some things like Voices of Haiti, you will hear more about this tonight, uh, Help Portrait, uh, OK Do This, um, as well as something brand new he's working on called Purpose Hotel. Um, so you'll hear about those things. I always like to add one other tidbit about our speakers that maybe is not in their bio, and uh, the one I came up with for tonight is that it's, it's, I, by the way, was just down in Florida visiting some members of this congregation the last couple of days. Uh, one of the things I noticed when I came back is that it's very cold up here. Um, so when I picked our speaker up tonight uh, or this afternoon, uh, we got in the car and I mentioned, oh, we have these uh, seat heaters if you want one of those. And he commented that his wife likes to turn those on in the middle of the summer just to mess with his head. So <laughs> that's something you can now know about him that is not in his bio. Anyway, we're delighted you're here. Will you help me welcome Jeremy Cowart? Hello, I had to make sure my mic was turned on. <laughs> it's good to be with you all tonight. Uh, as he just said, I really apologize about last week. We have a, uh, a sudden uh, realization that heart uh, issues are a really major thing in our family. My mom had a quadruple bypass earlier this year. My dad uh, actually had a quintuple last week, and it was kind of last minute. And obviously those are serious surgeries, so I wanted to be be with my dad in case something bad did happen, something went wrong. So thank you all for uh, coming back this week and, and uh, rescheduling for me. Um, and in a few minutes, I'll talk about the loss of my brother. Uh, he was only, I think, seven years older than me. He passed away of a heart attack several years ago. So it was very important for me to be home uh, last week with my family. So again, thank you for that. Um, but yeah, it's good to be here. So I am... Uh, I'm not, uh, 
you know, my, as a career, I'm not really trying to be a speaker. Uh, it, this is a, something that kind of happened organically and accidentally. And so because I'm a visual artist, um, I have a bad memory. I don't know if you all know many creative people, but we're not very good with our memory. We're a bit forgetful, a bit ADD, and so I'm one of those people. Uh, so because of that, I decided to draw my story um, which you're about to see on the screen, and uh, I'm going to narrate it for you. So let me find my cursor. There we go. Um, so how many of you, uh, before I start, um, really just showed up tonight, you really don't know who I am? Be honest, because I like meeting new people. All right, good. <laughs> That's a good thing. I always get it. I get more excited when I talk to new crowds, new people, because it's like meeting somebody new, you know? It's just always fun. So um, that being said, I'm going to share my story. So my name is Jeremy, and this is my story. I was born in Nashville, Tennessee, and I grew up in a suburb called Hendersonville. Hendersonville was originally known for being the hometown of Mr. Johnny Cash, but now it's known for being the hometown of Ms. Taylor Swift. I love you, Taylor. (laughs) Growing up, I was never smart. I couldn't pay attention for more than three minutes. I was a terrible listener, and I didn't make great grades. I was quiet, shy, and really just average. I always remember telling my mom and dad, I can't do this. That's when my dad started reprogramming my brain. He reprogrammed it with one simple sentence. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. He said this for years over and over again. And then in seventh grade, I discovered I could draw, so I started taking art more seriously. Something came alive in me whenever I would create. So here I was, failing miserably at all the mandatory academics, but I came to life in the optional arts. I was even tested with some fancy aptitude test my senior year. And here were the official results. Inductive reasoning, I got a 15 out of 100. Analytical reasoning, I got a 5 out of 100. I'm killing it. (laughs) Structural visualization, 15. Uh, Observation, 15. I did get some good scores, but these are all the bad ones. Uh, My vocabulary was a 5, which I'm pretty sure hasn't changed from a 5. So, perfect. It's now been confirmed that I'm a complete and total moron. Thank you, aptitude test. By the, by the way, that last picture, um, somebody photoshopped my face onto Bill Gates' body. So I just thought it would be fun to drop that photo in there. <laughs> I guess that was Bill Gates back in the 80s. So anyway. <laughs> so when it came time for college, all I knew was art. I could make pretty things, and that was about it. So I wanted to be a painter for the rest of my life. My parents made a call that was very wise and in hindsight way ahead of their time. My mom said, it's going to be tough to make a living as a painter. You should look into computers and graphic design instead. Whoa, here comes those two words again. I can't. Computers are for smart people. Computers are for people who can focus. I'm not smart, so therefore, I can't. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, they reminded me. So off to the races, I went ahead and reluctantly jumped in. And guess what happened? I fell in love. It turns out that Photoshop is the coolest tool on the planet. (laughs) And it's not just for smart people, it's for anybody. And it was definitely for me. 
So I studied graphic design in college and I got my first job at a high-end ad agency. After a year, my boss fired me, and not only did he fire me, but he suggested that I find another career altogether. Thanks, boss. <laughs> See, he was too late. I had already started believing that I could do anything I wanted to do. So thankfully, I ignored him, and I worked for a couple more ad agencies. And then I finally realized that that world for me was boring, because I was designing websites for air conditioning companies, and it's literally impossible to make an AC unit look sexy. So at the time I had a few friends doing music, I knew how to design album covers and websites, so why not work for them instead? So after having the idea, I quit my comfortable job the next day, I didn't think, I just jumped. I called the company Pixel Grazer and it blew up. Album covers, websites, merchandise, we did it all. One day a friend said, hey, you should buy this new thing called a digital camera. Here we go again, back to square one. I can't. There's no way. Photography is for smart people, I thought. I took one photography class in college and I made a D. My professor seemed to hate me. So I swore off photography for life and I literally told my friends, I will never become a photographer. So what did I do? I went to the bookstore and bought a book called Digital Photography for Dummies. So I learned about these scary things called f-stop, shutter speeds, ISO, white balance, and more. And to my utter surprise, I actually understood it all. So maybe I wasn't an idiot after all. So I went and bought a whopping 3 megapixel camera and was ready to take over the world. So next thing you know, I was shooting those musician friends of mine for fun and I wasn't awful. So I finally told all my clients, hey, I'm taking pictures now too. And you know what happened? I started landing a lot of gigs, and one of those was for a record label, and I ended up beating a well-known Hollywood agent and her roster of celebrity photographers. So she calls me, and she said, hey, I'd love to represent you. Your work is amazing. You know how to light big sets, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. But I had never lit a big set before. So we signed a deal, and within weeks, I was shooting for TV networks like E! And Fox, then I got the photograph of this guy named Sting. So the immediate success was shocking. I went from amateur photographer to celebrity photographer in just a few months. Since then, I've photographed a long list of celebrities. Like he said earlier, the Kardashians, Ryan Seacrest, Taylor Swift, Kelly Clarkson, Carrie Underwood, Gwyneth Paltrow, and many, many more. I've now published uh, four photography books. I toured the country with uh, Britney Spears, long story. Uh, I got to photograph President Obama on the first day of his inauguration. Got to document uh, Pope Francis' journey to the U.S. last year. Um, my photos have now been published in all the magazines. Uh, Sports Illustrated, ESPN, Rolling Stone, Vanity Fair, all the magazines I could have dreamed of. On the internet, I've, I've built a large following on social media over the years. Uh, in July of 2015, Adweek named me one of 10 visual artists who are changing the way we see the world. In 2014, Huffington Post named me the most influential photographer on the internet. So I did it, I thought. I made it. But wait, so what? Who cares? Was being a photography rock star really my goal? I realized that I shouldn't aim for greatness and stop there. Because greatness should serve a greater purpose. 
So what was my greater purpose, I thought. That led me to the idea of giving photos away to people in need. So I gathered together a few photography friends, and we spent the day at a gym giving photos away to people in need. I put a simple video of the day on Facebook, and people responded with, hey, I want to be a part of this if you ever do it again. That's when I had the thought. What if this was a global event where photographers did this all over the world? No way. I can't. Global? You see, that idea that my parents instilled in me not only helped me overcome my challenges and insecurities, but it blew off my limitations and opened up the world to me. So why not start a global movement? So nine months later, I put the idea out there where it spread fast. So what happened that December of 2009? 3,400 photographers and 5,000 volunteers responded. We gave away 41,000 portraits in 543 locations in 42 countries around the world. Since then, the numbers are now approaching 100,000 people. They've given away nearly half a million portraits in over 70 countries in every American state. But it's not the numbers that count, it's the stories. Dignity, beauty, and value, a sense of self-worth. These are all the things being given away that material possessions can't really deliver. We've seen grown women have their hair and makeup done for the first time. We've had men have their first pictures taken outside of their jail mugshots. We've restored photos after natural disasters. We've had kids see their own faces for the first time in third world countries. We've had people get jobs using their photos as their new headshots. We've had photographers say, this is the greatest thing I've ever done with my camera. We've had uh, photography competitors become community after serving together. So Hell Portrait was a crazy simple idea that has now reached around the world. And it made me realize that a simple, simple idea in a camera could go a long way. So how else could I help? So when the earthquake struck Haiti, I was dumbfounded. I couldn't believe my eyes. More importantly, I couldn't believe what the media was saying about it all. They just kept mentioning how many buildings had fallen down, how many people died. It was all statistics. But what about the people, I wondered? What about their stories? So as I sat on my couch watching CNN, I wondered what if these people could tweet? What would they say to the world right now? At the time, Twitter wasn't around for them, so I went down there myself and gave them a microphone in the form of a photograph. So we went around asking people what they had to say to the world. The results were staggering, heart-wrenching, beautiful, and inspiring. This man said, my top leg is not the problem. The lack of government is the problem. This woman simply said, oh, the things I've seen. This man said, the earth may shake, but Haiti remains in my heart. This woman said, God, please show me the path of hope. But somebody had hope. We heard there was a wedding going on, and the thought was crazy. There were still aftershocks happening. There were still dead bodies laying everywhere. Who in their right mind would get married amongst all this devastation? So we found the wedding, and we asked them what they had to tell the world. And their response 
blew us away. They found the only remaining paper plate on the property and they wrote on it, Love Conquers All. So a couple years later, I decided to go to Uganda with my friends at Exile International. This time I wanted to collaborate with children, specifically former child soldiers who had been abducted by Joseph Kony and the LRA. As a form of art therapy, we worked together to tell their stories. We interviewed them, I took portraits of them, and I had them draw the pains of their past and the dreams of their future. I even taught them how to draw these stories in Photoshop. The stories weighed heavy on our team. One girl was forced to participate in the murder of her own mother. She was seven years old at the time. Then there was this uh, girl, Dillish. Dillish had finished her art. She said, wait, I need to draw more. She said, they killed my mother in front of me and my baby sister. And my baby sister started crying. And so they picked her up by the feet and they slammed her into a tree to also take her life. And this here is Dillish's actual drawing that I recorded on my computer. Um, but she needed to, to process this as a part of her art therapy. Other stories were even more graphic, more horrific and evil to recount here tonight. But all of them had glimpses of hope and redemption woven throughout. And I wanted to help show that. So I took their handkerchief art, their portraits, and their stories, and I combined them all together on my computer to make uh, these mixed-media pieces of art. collaboration between me and these children and then we sell the prints online at exileinternational.org slash posa and 100% of the money goes back to their art therapy so speaking of uh, children my wife Shannon and I uh, we have two children biological and we just adopted two more children from Haiti last year and you know what I tell all of them every chance I get Philippians 4.13. Adoption is one of the hardest things we've done as a family, but also the most rewarding. My two older children have welcomed their new siblings with open arms, and our new children are overcoming language and cultural barriers while learning to embrace life in an entirely new environment. And every day they're all reminding us what it means to live out the idea that it took me so long to embrace. Nothing is more important to me than my family. And not only have two supportive parents, but I have two older brothers as well. A few years ago, we took our daughters to a daddy-daughter dance. That night, my brother Mike, also a photographer, took just one photo of me and my daughter, Isley. And in return, I took just one photo of he and his daughter, Reese. So fast forward a few weeks, I was speaking at a conference in Vegas when I got a 911 text from my dad. And he called and said, Mike just suddenly passed away of a heart attack. 
He was 43, and as I said earlier, we had no idea there were any issues. So that photo I took of him was the last time I took his picture and one of the last times I saw him alive. So in the weeks and months that followed his passing, I began asking, what if I died tomorrow? What about my kids? What if I could teach them everything I've learned in life just in case? We live in an age where it's really easy to document our thoughts and our feelings, so why don't we document our wisdom? Could you imagine if our grandparents and great-grandparents would have had the technology we have today and they would have done this, if they could have taught you everything they learned in life? So with the beginning of our digital family trees, five generations from now, your family will be Googling you. They'll be reading your Facebook posts, your tweets, your snaps, your Instagram, everything. So what are we saying and teaching them right now? That line of thinking inspired me to launch something called C University, where um, we literally document all the things that I've done over the years, photo shoots, lighting, even other things like business, um, uh, fear of failure, marriage, work balance, um, whatever we can think of that I do as a profession, we teach it. And I think we, we should all do the same. So think about that little shy fifth percentile me from Hendersonville, Tennessee. And I'm now teaching the very th- about the world about the very things in life that I thought I couldn't do. So now you know what I've done with my 38 years of life here on earth. But what about my future? The truth is there's another idea that I had three years ago that I've been terrified of. It's my Mount Everest, it's my Goliath. It's bigger than everything I just shared. The dream is, like you said earlier, I want to build a hotel called the Purpose Hotel. Not just a hotel, but a global hotel chain. See, this hotel would hopefully change the world. Every room in the building would sponsor a child and tell their story. Internet fee would fight human trafficking. The room keys would be connected to the giving keys, which employ the homeless. There would be a a functioning charity water well in the lobby. The soap, the furniture, the linens, the art, the design. Everything in the building would be connected and sourced from a uh, non-profit or a cause. Hopefully there's going to be unparalleled creativity throughout. By staying at this hotel, you'll be impacting lives locally, domestically, and internationally. By staying at this hotel, you'll be changing the world in your sleep. This hotel is going to be built for the world, by the world. In fact, we just launched a Kickstarter campaign in the fall, raised a lot of money to get the ball rolling. So everything's getting darker, right? Terrorism, war, hunger, disease, and poverty. But Franklin Buchner said, purpose is where deep gladness meets the world's needs. The question is when. And I believe the time is now. So please join me. You can check out thepurposehotel.com. You can see our Kickstarter campaign. Um, you can text this number, 44222, The Purpose Hotel. And that will get you on our mailing list to stay updated with what's going on. So do you see what I just did over the last couple of minutes? I took the first step by speaking my dreams and fears to you. There's nothing that exists yet about this idea except for the idea itself. 
but this is how ideas become reality. You have to take that first step. You have to speak your dreams into existence. So I say text, call, email somebody tonight. Just practice, share your dreams with them. If I can do all this, then just imagine what you can do. What have you been too afraid to try? What voices have kept you from reaching your potential? What voices have closed your sense of wonder? If you're alive, if you're breathing, we need you. We need your vision. Remember the word impossible actually spells I'm possible. So as you guys know, you can do anything through Christ who strengthens you. So that's it for the video portion. So I'm going to keep chatting for a few minutes and then we're going to do some Q&A. So if you have any videos about, I mean any videos, if you have any questions about anything I just said, uh, be thinking of that and I'll, uh, not yet, in a few minutes I will, I'll start taking those. But um, So that's my story up until now and I'm passionate about talking about this because um, I really love ideas. I, I believe um, that all of you, all of us, or artist. Um, Picasso said, every child is born an artist, the problem is remaining one. And uh, too often I see adults look at me and say, oh, you're the creative guy, you're the idea guy. But my belief is that God made all of us creative and all of us unique. And so I, I love the idea of waking up adults, waking up kids, reminding them that we're all capable of creating beauty and value. Um, my kids, you know, right now they're, they're, they're in school and they're learning how to, you know, color and draw. And every time they get a coloring book, they're, of course, or even drawing on their own, they're drawing what they think society expects, what they think their teachers expect of their friends. You know, the, the perfect stick figure, the perfect house, the perfect sun, or they're drawing perfectly within the lines. And I'm trying to teach them, I'm like, that's awesome, good job, but what's in your mind? What's in your brain? What can you create? And in, in teaching them that, I realize we do the same as society. You know, we grow up and we just keep coloring within the lines. We try to make things pretty and what people expect of us. Um, I recently heard about a poll that some nurses um, took on uh, adults right before their uh, their death. These were people with uh, terminal illness. And the number one regret, they wanted to know what their regrets were. And their number one regret right before they died, uh, I forget the exact wording, but it was essentially, I wish I had been bold enough to pursue my dreams. I wish I had been, been fearless, you know, um, of all the things that could have been. Um, and so again, that's why, that's why I'm so passionate about this topic. And so um, I continue to, I'm continuing to dream and to, to do projects much like I just shared. And I thought I would share with you all another one. Um, so uh, anyone ever been in Nashville, Tennessee? <laughs> A few. So uh, three hours west, I'm sorry, east of Nashville is Knoxville. There's a place called Gatlinburg. It's an amazing little, little town. Uh, Famous for, for Dolly Parton and Dollywood. Um, but in, in November, they had some terrible wildfires. And um, well, that's really rare because usually the West Coast gets the wildfires. We never get wildfires. But these wildfires really 
did some serious destruction. They, um, uh, 2,000 buildings and businesses were, were destroyed. 14 people died. Um, and if you've ever been to Gatlinburg, it's a really small, quaint town. And this fire really destroyed at least all the homes around. Um, so I was sitting in church uh, the Sunday after and just really thinking about how, how can I respond? Like, how can I as an individual help? Um, and it sounds so, you know, a lot of times I think we're, we think, oh, I'm too small, I'm too unimportant, I'm too, too little to do anything of value. But I always love to just still, still dream, still allow myself to think. And I, wanted, and I just wondered, what if I could actually help? And so um, I was in church, literally sitting in the pews, much like y'all are right now, and uh, and I had this idea, a very weird uh, visual idea to help. And I thought, wouldn't it be amazing if I went uh, and drove over there and found these homes, found the families that live in these homes, and I placed a white mattress, as random as that sounds, a white mattress in the middle of this burned-down home, because uh, once home burns, obviously it gets black and brown and really dark. Placed a stark white mattress in the middle of the home, and I had the homeowners lay on the mattress is kind of a therapeutic last time to lay in their home. But the goal was to photograph it. How do I photograph it? The only way you can do that is with a drone. <laughs> I've never used a drone. I don't know much about drones. But I went onto some Facebook group and I found like a bunch of geeky drone people. <laughs> and next thing I know, I had a cabin donated and all these strangers with drones show up. And... Um, so we drive out of Gallenberg and uh, through a series of, let me pull up my computer real quick. Um, before I say this, um, it's so funny how God gives us visions. Because uh, in all of those things I just showed you, I never once like teared up or cried when seeing the back of my camera. But we get out there and it's freezing, mind you. It was probably the week we did this, probably 15 degrees with a 10 degree wind chill. Then you go up on top of the mountain, and it basically feels like here. <laughs> uh, yeah. But when you're trying to work, in the cold weather, it makes the gear not function, and it, it was a mess. But um, we get there, and we take this first picture, which I, I don't know if y'all can actually see that. Um, I wonder if I can zoom into this. But in the middle of this, uh, where's my cursor? There it is. So there's a man laying on a mattress, obviously, in the middle of all this destruction. And I teared up uh, for multiple reasons, just knowing that uh, this guy personally actually built his own home with his bare hands, didn't have any insurance, truly lost everything. And uh, so I was tearing up for that reason. I was tearing up at the... A lot of times there's... There's this surreal beauty and devastation. I was, I was tearing up at the, at the surreal beauty of it. Most importantly, I was just tearing up at the idea that, that God gave me this very strange, specific vision. And here I was looking at it, you know, from 300 feet above. And so we did this for the next week. Uh, we we um, drove around Gatlinburg photographing different individuals laying on uh, their mattresses. I'll show you a few more here. Um, uh, 
And so uh, it was a lot of work, as you can imagine. Here is a family of three. They're from Germany. And uh, the guy, one of the guys was a photographer. This guy here. And he's actually standing next to uh, his printer. Um, that, so he, he lost, sadly, he had not backed up all his 30 years of work. Traveled the world as a photographer, lost all of it. Uh, by the way, let that be a lesson tonight. Back up your work remotely in a different location. And so my heart just was broken for this guy. Because, you know, you can take my home away, that's fine. You can take my furniture, take my belongings. But my, obviously, I, I would be devastated if I lost my family. But after my family, I'd be devastated if I lost my work. And so I was really heartbroken for this guy. Um, and he was so sweet and encouraging and just had so much hope. Uh, much more so than I would have, I think. Um, so again, oh, I got to meet um, the mayor of Gatlinburg. And the mayor actually lost his home. Um, he had a really, really large home overseeing Gatlinburg. And... Uh, so there, there's his, he and his wife laying on the mattress in the middle of it all. Um, just trying to share any more specific stories. Then we've got to photograph a, uh, a firefighter and, uh, and his wife. Uh, sorry, let me fix that. I keep losing my cursor. <laughs> there it is. Um, so he was fighting fires and saving lives and drove by his home and it was fine and then uh, came back later and his home was gone. So they, they lost their own home in the middle of trying to save, save others' lives. And I love this photo we got of the four of them. Um, so it's his wife and daughters there. So the reason I share this and also is just to um, just yet another reminder of like those little, you know, I call them whispers. I often find that we all get these whispers and I find that they're always during quiet times. They can be during what we all refer to a quiet time, but I've also noticed that anytime I'm not looking at my phone, I'm not looking at a screen, I'm driving by myself, or I'm trying to go to sleep, or I'm standing in the shower, or mowing the lawn, just really learn to listen during those quiet moments in our lives where there's no distractions. Because even today on the flight here, I was just typing notes because I just feel like God gives me whispers. And, and these whispers are like, are like exercising a muscle. Because those of you who don't feel creative, I, I find that a lot of creative people have just turned that off that faucet off for so long, saying, God, I'm not the one. I'm, I can't do that. I'm not that one. So, but when we open that and we take responsibility with, the, with what he's given us, then he gives us more, right? And so I'm just always learning and trying to um, listen to those whispers, listen to those ideas, and execute. So the last night... Um, I was trying to go to sleep. After, I was in Gatlinburg, trying to go to sleep. And I just kept thinking for some reason, like, man, this would be a great project for Time magazine to publish. I didn't have any contacts at Time. I'd never worked with Time. Um, and I knew nothing. I just, I don't know, that was like my 
going to sleep wish slash prayer. And um, so I wake up the next morning, I hug my crew goodbye, and I go to lunch by myself, and I pull up my phone, there's one email, and the email says, hey Jeremy, I'm the photo editor at Time Magazine, and I've been following this project all, uh, the whole time, and I love it, we'd love to publish it. And so Time Magazine ended up publishing this, and um, with each person that I photographed, I photographed 20 people, and they each had crowdfunding links to rebuild their homes, to raise money. And so we built a website with each crowdfunding link, and then I would post to Instagram with each crowdfunding link with the goal of raising more money. So the next thing I know, Time Magazine is tweeting to their 12 million followers and Facebooking to their 20 million followers about the links to these 20 individuals. And again, my goal in church was, I wonder if I can help. You know, I wonder if I can do anything. And the next thing I know, USA Today published it. Next thing I know, I was on the Weather Channel talking about this project. Um, it's been all over the world in different mu- uh, like museum websites and art websites. And so uh, I just stand here as a testament. Like you never know what God is going to do with those little, little whispers. Um, I did another project in Rwanda um, that is not in this version of the video. But I wanted to photograph uh, people who had forgiven the killers of their family during the 94 genocide. So could you imagine forgiving the person that killed your daughter or your son or your dad or your mother? Um, Well, I went and met these people and I photographed them. I would have them write messages on, on different things. These guys wrote, love is the weapon that kills all evil. And uh, so I did this part. We spent about two weeks doing this project. I, I photographed all kinds of different, uh, you know, people in different relationships. And again, I had no plans for where this would go or what it would do. But when I got home, uh, you know, <laughs> again, randomly, somebody from CNN got in contact with me and this was like the leading worldwide international headline on CNN, like the main graphic, could you forgive your family's killer? Um, and so I'm just always trying to, to listen and respond with simple ideas um, and use, use my camera in a way. Uh, and, you know, camera is one tool. It's my tool. But all of you have other tools. Uh, I don't know if you all have seen that video. This, oh, I just spilled my water. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, I don't know if y'all seen that video that's gone viral over the last week. It's just a teacher outside his classroom, and he has an individual crazy handshake for each student. And uh, it's the most beautiful, simple thing that I've ever seen, because it just gives each student so much uh, dignity and uh, so much worth, and it just, it's just fun. And you can tell that each student has so much more respect for that teacher, and they'll forever remember that teacher because of the way the teacher greets the students. So a lot of times ideas don't have to be some big, big thing that you do to change the world. It can be the simplest of things because changing one life, I would say, is changing the world, you know. Do what you, do what you want to do. Do for one what you, could wish, what you wish you could do for the world, right? So anyway... Um, that's, I don't know how I'm doing on time, but I've been paying attention. 
but I wanted to leave uh, a, good, a good chunk of time for questions, and uh, just wanted to hang out with y'all. So I know we had one earlier right. back there. But I'm going to say a couple things before you oh, do that. Yeah. Will you thank him? <clears throat> I just whispered into his ear, that was awesome. Seriously, that was tremendous. Um, yeah, I'm going to let you rest your voice just for a couple minutes. And we've got a couple mics here and here for those of you who want to ask questions. Um, we've got some time for that. So a uh, couple of announcements. Uh, our next event, I want to make sure you're aware of. And by the way, it's interesting. Our last speaker was the CEO of Marriott. I don't know if you noticed that. So maybe you should talk to him about yeah, the... Yeah, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. We'll see. Anyway, uh, our next guy is William Kent Kruger. I think some of you know him. He's a local author, um, uh, and he's going to be here to talk about, among other things, his recent book, Ordinary Grace. Uh, that is, event is Thursday, March 9th, uh, same time, same place. So join us for that if you can. Um, you see these green sheets. Uh, if you have ideas for future speakers, we're actually working on next year's series right now. You're welcome to leave one of these in the baskets outside. We also have our Facebook page. You can email me um, and so forth. Uh, let's see, what else was I going to say? Um, oh, these events, you know, again, this is the 14th season. Uh, they have never been part of the budget of the church. Uh, they're always supported entirely through the generous contributions of individuals and area organizations who believe in the work that we're doing. Their uh, sponsors are listed in your program. I won't name them all, but I know we have many of the sponsors here this evening. And um, on behalf of them, uh, we're so grateful to them, rather, for uh, making it possible to bring people like Jeremy here. So will you thank our sponsors for their generosity? <laughs> And then one of the questions that I get, I've said this before, I think, um, one of the most frequent questions I get uh, about this series is, where do you get your speakers? Um, and sometimes there's not a good story to that uh, for a particular speaker. Uh, do they sort of bubble up or it happens organically? Uh, sometimes there's a very specific reason, though, and tonight's speaker is one of those specific reasons. Pastor Cheryl Matheson, who's sitting in the back there, heard Jeremy. Um, I don't even remember, Cheryl, what... At, oh, it was at Willow Creek. Okay, so you were there. He doesn't remember being at Willow Creek, but um, <laughs> let's, pr let's pretend you were. I told you I have a bad memory. <laughs> I told you I've got a bad memory. <laughs> anyway, uh, Pastor Matheson heard him somewhere. We'll say it's Willow Creek. And she texted me while she was listening to him and said, you have got to try to get this guy for faith and life. And Cheryl, I would say your instincts were right on. So will you thank Cheryl for the suggestion? <laughs> Okay, so um, we'll take some questions if you have them. And, uh, well, it would be easier if you're able to come up and, and ask it into the mic just so that everyone can hear them. That would be great. just want to know what the text number is for the Purpose Hotel. Oh, text oh, yeah. number. Um, okay. So, yeah, sorry, that was a fast slide. If you text just the words Purpose Hotel to 44222, um, that will just add you to our mailing list. So, yeah, yeah no problem. Y'all are a quiet bunch. <laughs> Who's next? Anybody? I first want to say thank you for highlighting the universal emotion of grief. Mm -hmm. And secondly, my question or um, I'd like to know any suggestions about for people 
the next step or continue to find that creativity and follow it? Yeah, she's asking, uh, how do you take that ne- next step with people who are, I don't know, frustrated or just don't know, don't know how? And a lot of I, I say that when I have an idea, what I do is um, I always run it by the people I trust first. Uh, obviously, I start with my wife. My wife is great because I have so many ideas, and most of the time when I tell her an idea. She's like, oh, that's awesome. Uh, I'm going to run to Target. We take out the trash. I'll be back in a little while. And I'm like, did you hear anything I just said? You know, we've been married 17 years, so she's used to my excitement. <laughs> but uh, when, you know, when I told her about Help Portrait in the hotel, she cried. You know, like she, she's such an honest gauge. She'll tell me when things are awful. She'll tell me when things are great. And then after my wife, I'll run up by my business uh, partner. I'll run it by a few trusted friends. You have to find people in your life that'll be honest with you. And the second thing I do, I mean, obviously, the number one thing I do is pray. But in addition to praying, I, uh, I ask my friends that I trust. And then I just wait. Because a lot of times, new ideas are fun and exciting, and they feel genius at first. And then you realize after a month, they're actually the worst idea ever, you know. So I usually run it by the people I trust, pray, and then wait it out. And then if something feels right, um, then I start taking those steps. And so it's hard to say, like, what is the next step for me? Because every idea is so different. Everything I just shared with you is so different. Um, Each case is different. You know, I had an idea that I didn't share about called a social network. I mean, it was a social network idea, an app. And I did, I've never built an app, so I just you know, went to Nashville and found the best app developers I could. Told them I had an idea. You know, that's how that one started with uh, the Haiti thing. I just started tweeting. How do I, how do I get to Haiti? How do I, you know, just started making a lot of noise about it. And then people are like, oh, you should talk to this person. Oh, you should talk to that person. Um, with the hotel, uh, I was clueless as it gets. And so we launched a big Kickstarter campaign, yes, to raise money but more to just make a lot of noise so in hopes that we would attract the right things and people to, to us, you know, um, like casting a big net. Let's just see, see what fish come in, and then we'll figure it out from there. And that's what we're still doing. And so, um, But uh, the first step was getting over three years of fear. I mean, it was three years of truly... I'm just a little freelance artist. There's no way I can build a hotel chain. Like, what does that even look like to start from scratch with a new hotel? And so for three years, I lived with, I just can't. Like, that, that's so dumb, you know? And so, but finally, it just got to a point where I, I found the courage, and God made it very obvious. And I was like, okay, I guess, I guess we're doing this, you know? And so I told my business partner, and... Um, we just, thankfully, uh, that's another part of this equation, is you have to find people whose strengths match your weaknesses. So I'm, I am extreme right-brained. I'm all right-brained. I have no left brain in me. My business partner is the opposite. He is extremely left-brained. And so, um, you know, if we ever appeared on Shark Tank together, which, by the way, we did ask to pitch the hotel on Shark Tank, uh, uh, that's what we would do. You know, I would answer the creative, he would answer the business. And so if you're introverted and quiet and you're the business person, then you need to find somebody to 
be the voice, be the creativity. And so I'm always very aware of my weaknesses, very aware of what I'm incapable of doing. So immediately, everything that I just showed y'all is all about team building, all about finding uh, people in my life to complement those dreams and ideas. So, who else? Yes. I'm curious about the faith of your parents. Obviously, they instilled in you some type of religious upbringing. Mm-hmm. Could you elaborate on that a bit? Yeah, um, I mean, my my mom is from West Virginia. My dad is from uh, uh, Augusta, Georgia, and they both went to Trevecca Nazarene School in Nashville, and um, they decided to raise their family there, and so uh, they brought us up. I mean, I literally lived at the church my entire life, from youth camps to singing in choir to handbells to church camps to you name it I did, I did all of it and so um we were just always always in the church I mean uh I, w- I was in Baptist churches I was in non-denominational churches um but my parents just were always literally preaching Philippians 4:13 to me and just encouraging me you know I think parenting as I look back on their influence on my life it was really so simple and it was just encouraging whatever my interests were. So when I showed an interest in art, the next thing I know, I had an art desk in my bedroom with pencils and paint and all kinds of stuff. When I showed an interest in photography, they bought me my first camera. When, you know, Macs were first a thing, Apple computers, they bought me a Mac. Um, they were just always, like, supporting my creativity. They weren't saying, you know, you should really go into finance and business they were saying no you should be an artist uh crazy enough and so um but yeah i mean i had an amazing uh an amazing upbringing and my parents uh obviously are still together and um you know i don't know where i would be without all that and i'm thankful too because my they both came from rough situations my mom's upbringing was really really hard in west virginia and my dad's was in augusta and so um they're, they're a miracle that they were able to pull it together and raise a, a you know, normal functioning family. So I have much, much respect for them. Yes? So what do you think about uh, Crystal and massive visual art? I think recently he did a uh, walkway in Lake Geneva in Switzerland. And uh, you know, he's great various, you know, monuments and uh, monumental art. And, uh, you know, I think it's more for the sake of the art To be honest, I'm feeling ignorant because I don't know who that is. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to Google it, yeah. I apologize. What's his name again? Crystal, I believe. Okay. You'll have to check it out. I'm sorry. I feel bad. <laughs> out of the loop. <laughs> who else? Okay. How old are you doing? What do you do? I started, I became a photographer in 2005. Yeah. So do you ever feel... Like, how do you get through that? 
Yeah, he's asking, how do you how do you get through burnout? How do you stay fresh when you've been doing it and doing it and doing it? And uh, <laughs> in my case, I mean, I I feel like I have career ADD altogether. Uh, <laughs> I was I was telling him earlier, like last week, Monday and Tuesday, I was a hotel developer. Wednesday, I had a photo shoot. Thursday, I was a speaker. Friday, I was a teacher. And so. Um, because I do get burnout. I mean, I do get tired of photography. I get tired of shoots, but not in a not in a burnout sense. More of like I like to be challenged, and when I can see a photo and know exactly how it was lit, how it was processed, I'm sure like all of you in your professions, you just know how to do it. So after a while, it becomes boring or becomes less challenging. And so I'm just drawn to. Um, challenge and I'm drawn to uh, maybe even, and sometimes it's not a good thing, you know, a lot of times our culture makes it sound, you know, cool and fun to, oh, just quit your job and go jump and, you know, but when you have four kids and a wife, it's not always the smartest thing, and so, but a lot of people would say, why would you bail on a successful 15-year photography career to start over and build a hotel chain that will, that will take you years and years and years to do, but, um, I mean, that's kind of my answer, really, is I'm just always searching for the next challenge. And even in the challenge, I'm still completely overwhelmed by fear. And, um, like, my voices right now are saying, why would you build a hotel in Nashville? Literally every brand is building a hotel in Nashville. Ace Hotel, Virgin, Four Seasons, Westin, W., like, it makes no sense on paper. <laughs> and like, why not start in a small town? It's a small market and test it. But nope, we're going straight for, you know, Nashville's literally the number one market in the country right now. We have the most cranes uh, of any city in America. There's like 30, you can stand in one spot and see 30 massive. It looks like Dubai used to look. Um, and so, you know, like right now my voice is like, why, this is crazy, you know, but... But uh, God is obviously calling me to crazy. Um, you know, our our hotel, I don't know if you have ever seen the Simon Sinek talk where he talks about the why versus the what. He talks about how so many businesses are all about the what. We, we have the, our computer has the most memory. It's the fastest. It's the whatever. And then Apple comes along and says, oh, who cares about that? We're about the way it makes you feel. We're about the experience and the the looks and all this other stuff. You know, in the same in the same way, I have to remember that our hotel is not about the hotel itself. Sure, it will be cool and it will have comfortable beds and it will have whatever. But more important, it's about people. It's about changing the world. We're about the why, not the what. And so, um, for me, photography is about. You know, it can. It, I, I doubt I'll continue shooting clients like a lot of what you've seen, but I'll always shoot the things like the Gatlinburg project because of the why. So I'm just drawn to the why. How can I? Because I realize in my success in my photo career that I don't want to be in my deathbed bragging to my kids about shooting celebrities. I want to be telling them like, no, yes, I did that. I became excellent, but then I used my excellence to make the world a better place. And so I hope that I do that through a multitude of, of projects. So I have no idea if I answered your question, <laughs> but, that, but that's, where my, that's where my mind goes. Uh, another answer to that is I tell people to go on a detour. So as a photographer, um, 
Stop looking at the same websites. Stop, oh my gosh, stop reading the news, amen? <laughs> stop reading the news. Uh, just take a, take a detour, you know, I tell photographers, go, go see a movie, go follow, if you're a wedding photographer, go follow architecture. Go see what they're doing in fashion. If you're a fashion, go see what they're doing in weddings. So apply that to whatever business y'all might be in. But if, if your daily intake of what you're looking at and reading is the same all the time, then change it up. You know, literally delete all your browser bookmarks. Obviously, the best thing to do is read the word. That's most important. But on just a most, on a more, you know, like day-to-day when we get into business, just change up your, your daily uh, intake of what you're, what you're reading, what you're looking at, all that stuff. Who else? Yes. Yes, that video is uh, my, on my website. It's just my name, jeremycoward.com, and it's literally the first thing. So, yeah. Yeah, what camera do I use? So I use um, a Canon 5DS. Um, I've been a Canon shooter since high school. That's the first camera my parents bought me. Um, and as of last fall, I'm like their official ambassador. So it's pretty cool. One of their official ambassadors. Um, but yeah, Canon 5DS, they're, they're a great company. For the record, I do think Nikons are great too. <laughs> I'm not a, you know, to me, any, you should be able to take a great photo with any camera. I take photos that I'm super happy with with my iPhone. Canon doesn't want me to tell you that, but it, it, it's the truth. So, there's some, uh, yeah, right there. Have you done any follow-ups in Rwanda on what the effects of those people coming together and having their picture taken has made in the long term? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I'm still in touch with the nonprofit I work with over there. And mine was, they were already in a program, I forget, I forget what the program is called, As We Forgive Initiative, I think is what it's called. So they're already in a program. My photos were just kind of giving visuals to it. Uh, so um, I would say the whole program has obviously been so healing for their, uh, for their country and for their communities. I mean, it's crazy. Like a lot of these people are actually working together on a daily basis, like in community. I just, I just can't imagine. You know, we can't, we can't forgive somebody for stealing our parking spots. You know, I can't imagine... You know, our culture forgiving uh, in this, to this extent for murder. But yeah, it's had, a, it's had an amazing, the whole program has had an incredible impact uh, on the community for sure. Who else? I see another hand. Yes. So these uh, projects you do, yeah, we were in Rwanda. Obviously, they're, they're nice productions. How do you fund these? Are these funded personally? Do you have uh, some kind of sponsors or clients that, that fund those? Yeah, uh, each one of them were different. Um, I'm trying to remember. The Rwanda project was paid for by uh, a nonprofit. They were doing a documentary, and I don't know, there was somebody funding the documentary, and they kind of tacked my project on in addition to that. I didn't get paid a fee. I just, they just paid my expenses, flights, and whatever. And, uh, and then Haiti, 
Uh, I don't remember how Haiti worked out. I don't, honestly don't remember who paid for that. Uh, it's, been, it's been a few years. Um, Gallenberg, that was all yeah, mostly through donations. There was, you know, somebody donated a cabin. Um, all my crew donated their time and their gear. Uh, but everything in addition to that was self-funded. Um, then, uh, I forget what other projects are in there. I'm forgetting something. Oh, the POSA project, the, the art collaboration, that was uh, pay, just my expenses were paid by the nonprofit, you know, to go over there. Because they've used that work and that project for three years now, ever since. And that was used as a fundraising tool for them. Because uh, that's what they do is art therapy. So, um, yeah, usually it's, as long as I can get my travel covered, and I'm just passionate about doing these projects. And so, uh, yeah, one way or another, it, all, it always gets taken care of. Yes. So you, you talked about um, fears you've had through your faith in, in that verse, I can do all things through Christ. So just, and I know you've kind of shared some of that, just kind of that in depth. And what has been your personal Most of us, it's, it's hard to move past it. You know, those fears, you have dreams, but they actually step out of the way. Sometimes it's different. Yeah, he's asking, how do you go into more detail on stepping out and pursuing these dreams, being a doer, right? Like, not just dreaming, but actually doing. Um, I don't know. I mean, again, ever since high school, I even remember there was a... I remember being at a youth camp with about 300 youth, and there was this crazy ropes course they took us to. And uh, the guy asked us to volunteer. Who wants to go first? Who wants to step on this, you know, 50-foot rope and walk across it? And I was like, I do, I do. And I was just quick to be the first because I've just always been drawn to literal, uh, you know, literal fear. I love, you know, I remember also jumping off cliffs into the water in high school at a, at a camp. And um, so I just, I don't know, I'm just always drawn to the idea of stepping into the unknown um, now, my friend Charlie Park- Peacock said, Miles Davis, the jazz musician, had you know, cranked out 50 records, and only three of those were commercial successes, but it just kept, he just kept cranking, and ideas really are like a muscle, you know, and some of the ideas, um, like the app that I made, um, we spent four years developing that, and a lot of time, and a lot of money, and at first, it was a huge uh, success initially, and then after that, like most apps, just kind of nosedived, and it was basically a failure. But I just would so much rather being the guy trying and failing than not trying at all. And um, you know, I love I love the idea of living that for my kids. So like, and I tell my daughter that my daughter has the same thing that I had. She, she's such a perfectionist that. If she doesn't think she can play piano, if she doesn't think she can hit the baseball, she just gives up and walks away and pouts. And I'm just trying to tell her, like, I don't care if you hit the ball. I care if you try it. Like, I just want to see you try it. I don't care if you strike out all season long. I just want you to try your best than just give up. And... Um, and I just, again, I'm just trying, I'm, I'm also, there has to be, get to a level of, you just don't care what other people think, right? Like, so much of this is public embarrassment, public whatever, if nothing works. And that's, that was a part of what held me back on the hotel front. 
But now I'm like, man, I'm just okay if people think it's crazy and people think it's, even if it does fail, I'll be so glad that I at least went for it, at least tried it, at least talked to investors, all that stuff. And I'll have peace knowing that, you know, I gave it my all and it didn't work or it did work. And so, um, but, but by all things through Christ who strengthens me, it's just, um, you know, these, these I really do feel like are divine ideas. You know, anytime there's an idea that I really do think will help people, will make the world a little bit better, um, I just know that God's got my back, you know, he, he's in it, he's with me, and um, he's, he's certainly never failed me, and so, uh, I mean, if God is behind it, then who are we to, to say no to it, you know, um, so yeah, it's a, it's a fun dream, and I'm sure there'll be many more ideas, and it's just fun, because with each idea, like I say, by saying no to idea one, you're saying no to idea ten, because we often think our first idea is going to be our only idea, it's our special idea. But then we do that, and we'll be like, oh, i got more. And again, it's like a muscle. You have to develop and, and exercise it. And um, So, yeah, I'm, sh- I'm sure there will be more to come. I saw a hand over there. Yes. Gosh, that's a great question. There are so many. Um, my mind goes to all the verses on just loving the poor and the oppressed. Um, you know, because I think, isn't, isn't it true that the Bible talks about more more serving the poor than anything else? You know, loving, loving your neighbor. And so um, everything I do is really trying to, trying to, to do that. You know, I, I tell people I'm passionate about this intersection of creativity and helping others. Because oftentimes when the church or nonprofits help, help is always a good thing. You know, serving your community is always a good thing. But many times, if we're honest, it's not really done creatively. And then on the flip side, you have creative things that are done, uh, art for art's sakes or just art in general. And it's not, it doesn't really help. It's just art, you know, so... I'm passionate about how can we help and serve and love our neighbors in an extremely creative ways. And I think the Gatlinburg project is a good example of that because there were lots of photojournalists and people with drones in Gatlinburg. But there were very few drones showing the emotion of it all. The people laying on the mattress, there were very few. And so um, I feel like my specific calling is doing that using creativity creativity, to love the poor, to serve the poor, um, I mean, help portrait, it's literally been all over the world, I even had an atheist email me, and he said, uh, I can't believe you, um, you got me so passionate and so deeply involved in something that is so obviously the gospel, uh, he's like, he said, well done, uh, <laughs> Because Hell Portrait is, is, it is the gospel in every way without being labeled a Christian photography thing. It's just a thing. And, and it's the gospel through and through. And 
what I love about this talk that I just shared with y'all um, is that I was asked to do this early on a, few, a couple years ago at a thing in Portland called the World Domination Summit. Very, very big name. Um, and the, the crowd was about 3,000 people, all very, very liberal, uh, you know, uh, a bunch of tech-savvy uh, tech hippies, you know. They were really actually an amazing crowd. They were, they were super fun. But in preps for that, you know, being the Christian, I didn't want to offend. I didn't want to, like, be kicked out. Or, and so I was going to tweak this talk to just take out the verse and just generally say my dad encouraged me, whatever, just to be, again, PC, to be nice. Um, but it turns out I ran out of time. <laughs> I didn't have time to change the talk. So I was like, well... I'm going to leave my faith. I'm going to leave Philippians 4.13. It is what it is. So I did the talk in front of 3,000 people. And at the end of the talk, there was a roaring standing ovation. Everybody crying. Not a single complaint came in after that talk. And so ever since then, I've done this talk now. at All kinds of non-church audiences, non-faith-based, just the world and still I've yet to hear a single complaint and what that teaches me and has taught me is that nobody minds our faith as long as we're walking it instead of talking it they only get offended when we're all talk you know and so all of these projects it's obviously what I stand for what I believe in I'm just trying to implement them into culture and into issues and um, it's just been amazing that I've never had to change change my faith, take it out, and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been, I mean, I now hear of teenagers who are on drugs, and rebellious teenagers, and all kinds of young people, that this talk has changed their life, because they too are that kid that they don't feel they can do that, they, can, they don't feel smart, they don't feel like they're going to be anything, and my story helps them change that perspective. There was another hand over there. Yes. And maybe let's, I think let's make this the last question. And Jeremy is going to hang out in the narthex afterwards if you want to chat with him personally, too. Of course. <laughs> of course you can have a hug. That'd be amazing. That's a good note to end on. <laughs> Free hugs all night. Yeah.